Amen. Well, once again, good morning to each of you. And you will probably remember that not long ago, I finished preaching through the book of Ephesians. Prior to that, uh, we preached through the book of Galatians. So it probably will not come as a surprise to you that I am starting a journey through the book of Philippians this morning. So um, many of you have heard me say before, especially if you are one of the people that are typically in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights during our adult Bible studies. You've heard me say that any time that we open up our Bibles, any time that we open up God's Word, I desire that we feel like that we are taking a step directly into the Scriptures. And perhaps this morning you've just heard that statement and think, well, how can that be? How can we feel like we have taken a step directly into the Scriptures? Well, it is because that the Bible is God inspired and an errant holy word. It is true from beginning until the end. And I, here's one thing that sometimes we don't hear a lot anymore, especially through the world. Our Bible is just as applicable to us today in 2023 as it was when it was written. So I invite you this morning, go on this journey with me as we make our way through the book of Philippians. This morning we are going to be looking at chapter 1 and we are going to look directly at verses 1 through 11. And any time that we start a new sermon series, I think it's important for us just to look at a little bit of the background information, such as who wrote the letter, who was it written to, when was it written, where was it written. We refer to all of those type things as context. And this book, the book of Philippians, it was also written by Paul from prison. And it was written to the church in Philippi somewhere between A.D. 55 through 62. And I also think it's important any time that we begin a fresh study of any book of the Bible that we take a look and see, well, is there a common theme that occurs throughout the book? And you might be asking the question, well, how would I know if I'm just starting at verse 1? Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and that's a very good question. And I want to tell you that we are blessed in this country to have the ability to purchase a study Bible. And if you have a study Bible, I'm going to tell you, it is a wonderful, wonderful tool as we study the Bible. It introduces each book. And so I would encourage you to read that. But there is indeed a theme that appears throughout the book of Philippians. And I believe it's this. It's Paul rejoices in his partnership with the Philippians. And he does that in the, in the midst of adversity. So this morning I have titled this message, Joy in the Midst of Adversity. And maybe you hear that and think, how on earth? How can that actually happen? How can I have joy in the midst of adversity? I'm going to tell you, it is not only possible if we've got our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ that's what he expects of us he expects us to display joy in the midst of adversity so at this time I'd like us to hear our text in its entirety this morning and if you're physically able to stand I'd invite you to stand right now to honor the reading of God's word 
I invite you to follow along in your own Bibles. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, it's going to be projected on the screen. Here's what God's Word says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Father, now I just pray that you will just open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your message this morning. Father, I pray that if there is one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that the gospel message will pierce their heart. And I pray that this will be the day that they will be saved and that you will be forever glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to ask a question real quick. Am I too loud in, in the sanctuary? Let me know if I am because I, I, I am not talking loud at all and I don't want you to feel like I'm screaming because I am not. If, any, if I get too loud in this, just raise your hand and, and we'll adjust that, okay? All right, so as we begin to take just a closer look at our text this morning, Paul issues what is a, a normal greeting, one that we would expect from him. He identifies himself right at the very first word, Paul. And he also lists Timothy. Now, I don't want us to get confused here. Timothy did not author the book of Philippians, nor was he a co-author of the book of Philippians. Paul wrote that. Paul wrote the book by himself from prison. However, he included Timothy's name here because he knew the people to whom he was writing would be familiar with Timothy. And he knew that because Timothy actually helped Paul found this church. And then he identifies that they are servants of Christ Jesus. And they were. When you think of the life of Paul, when you think of the life of Timothy, they were definitely servants of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Their call is not really any different than the call of each of us if we are Christians because we are called to be servants of Christ Jesus when we come to Jesus for salvation. And then he identifies who he is writing this letter to, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And I want us to think about this word saints for just a moment because 
Most of the time today, we don't use this word in the same context as it's used in the Bible or that it was intended to be used in. Let me just ask you a question. When you normally hear the term saint or saints, who do you think of? It's usually somebody who, that we would identify that was a devout Christian who is now with the Lord. But that's not how this word was intended to be used. This word was used to um, indicate someone who actually possessed Christ within their life. Or maybe it would be more accurately described as that they were possessed by Christ. A saint was possessed by Christ. And I just want to ask the question this morning. As the world looks at me, as the world looks at you, would they identify us as being possessed by Jesus Christ? We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But then he also identifies two other groups of people, the overseers and the deacons. Now, I want to just let you know, these two These two words refer to two different groups of people. They are not used interchangeably, nor were they ever intended to be used interchangeably. Probably if you're following along in your Bibles right now, where it says overseers, in my translation it says overseers on the screen, I I would suspect that some of your translations mention elders right there. There are other translations that probably mention pastors. That's the group of people that this word overseers is actually describing. The people whose call was actually to shepherd the flock, who was responsible for the spiritual oversight of the congregation. And then the other is another vital group of people to any church, and it's the the group of deacons. And if you have ever attended a deacon ordination service here in the last several years, one of the things that we always try to carefully explain is that the role of a deacon is the role of a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, in these final two verses, there are two key words that, are, that Paul gives us here. It's grace and peace. And you know, just a few minutes ago, we sang the song, Grace That Is Greater Than What? All My Sin. All My Sin. I, I, the word actually said, the song, if you're looking at it, it says, All Our Sin. But I can, when I sing that song, I can hardly not say, My Sin. And you know, I think if we are true, if we've actually experienced God's grace, we know what a gift it is. We know what a gift it is, and we should be telling the world about that. The other thing that's mentioned here is peace. And you know, if you look around us throughout the world today, it's plain to see people are looking for peace, and they're looking at it for it with the wrong source. They're looking, some people are looking at it for money. Some people are looking at peace. If I, if I could just get that house, if I could just get that job, you know, you can fill the list in that they think that their lives would have peace if they could do those things. If we're searching after those things, I'm just going to make a bold statement. We'll never have peace. We will never have peace if we are seeking after those things from the world. I'll tell you, the only real peace is found where? It tells us right on the screen. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where grace and peace are actually found. And then we are going to start seeing that Paul is going to begin praying here. And we're going to actually witness Paul displaying joy as he prays. Now, I've I've got to stop just a minute and ask a question there. When you pray, when you pray your time with the Lord, would would you classify your prayers as being joyful? Or do we pray out of fear? Do we pray out of, hey, please don't let this happen to me. Please, 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 please. Or do our prayer. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask God for stuff. Please don't hear me say that. But I'm telling you this morning, just like Paul, that we're going to see Paul demonstrates joy as he prays, we should demonstrate joy as we pray as well. So Paul begins here and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, again, I'm going to reference the people that are in the sanctuary on Wednesday night. You have heard me say this many, many times, and I think I've even said it from the pulpit on Sunday mornings before, but I, one of the things that burdens me is that I am afraid that sometimes in this hustle and bustle of life that we live, I am afraid that sometimes we read a passage of Scripture, let's just say just exactly like the one that's on the screen right now, and that we read the words, but we don't actually dig in and figure out what those words are saying, nor do we truly realize the significance of those words. And I'm going to give you an example just by what is on the screen right now. Look at verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Until now. Now that's, that sounds pretty. But let me tell you. The partnership started about 10 years prior to Paul writing this letter. 10 years. And during that 10 year period of time. These people. They responded in such a magnitude. That Paul considered these people to be partners with him in the gospel. From, and it says from the first day until now. From ten years ago until the time that he is writing this letter, these people had responded with financial gifts and they had responded with their prayers. And I'm going to tell you, both of those things are vital to any ministry. Both of those things are vital. Now, God expects us to give to our local church And as a result of you giving here, you know, we participate in the cooperative program and a a portion of that giving goes to, it actually works with local missions, state missions, United States missions, and world missions. But over and above all of that, we've got other opportunities to partner with people in the gospel. Right here in this congregation, we have two wonderful opportunities. Brother Blake and his family are preparing to move to Africa. We can partner with them in the gospel. Tim and Sally spend a significant chunk of the year in Honduras. 
we have an opportunity to partner with them in the gospel. And maybe you're thinking, I, I can't give anymore. We can pray. We can pray. May we never, ever forget that. We have so many opportunities to partner in the gospel. And then we see that Paul displays confidence as he, as he prays. I wonder, are you ever guilty of praying and as you're praying you wonder, will God, can God, can God actually handle this problem? It's big. Are we guilty of that? We serve a big, big God. Now sometimes his answer and our answer are two separate things. But I'm going to tell you, God is able and God is sufficient. Paul distributes, he displays confidence as he prays here. Look how verse 6 starts. And I am sure of this. I am sure of this. Now, again, he's talking about this Philippian church to whom he is writing. But he is sure that what God started in those people, that he is going to finish. He is going to finish. And you know, that is directly applicable to us. Church, what God starts in you, what God starts in us, He will finish. He does nothing halfway. Never does He do anything halfway. And then He goes on to say, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all. Let's not miss that word. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, I was said near the beginning of the message that Paul writes this book while he's in prison. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that each of us is in prison. And we ended up there as a result of us doing absolutely nothing wrong. But we're there anyway. We are there anyway in prison. Now remember, we're talking about joy this morning in the midst of adversity. Joy in the midst of adversity. So if we, found, if we were to find ourselves in prison as a result of us doing Nothing wrong. I'm just going to ask a question. What is the temptation to focus on us, right? We look inwardly. We're human. We are human beings. We are not perfect people. But the overwhelming temptation is to look inwardly. I should never have been put in this prison in the first place. It is unfair. Somebody get me out. I mean, it would be tempting to pray those things. But what do we see Paul do? He writes books of the Bible while he's in prison. Now imagine that. Paul was not some type of super Christian. Yes, he's an apostle. But Paul had a calling on his life. I, I completely believe that every Christian has a calling on their life. And as a part of that, we have the opportunity that we can choose joy. We can choose joy in the midst of adversity. The bigger question is, will we? Will we choose joy in the midst 
of adversity. Now let's, let's look at how Paul continues to pray in verses 9 through 11. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And then he goes on to say, so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to stop right there for just a moment. But it's important that Paul had he had previously described their love, his love for them, their love for him. But now he is praying that their love may abound more and more. He's praying that from his prison cell. And you know, it's so important that we realize how important love is in the life of a Christian. What's God's word tell us in the book of John? They will know that you are my disciples by what? The love that we have for who? Each other. For each other. It is so important. That love, we're not supposed to just reach a place where our relationship with Christ never grows anymore. It's the desire of Christ for our relationship with him to grow until that day that he calls us home. It's his desire that our love grow more and more. Do we have a desire for that to happen? We should have a desire for that to happen. And then he prays that not only will it abound more and more, but he he mentions knowledge and all discernment. It must be grounded in those two things. And then he says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want to talk about those two words just a moment. Pure and blameless. You know, the world will tell us that you need to be happy. You need to be happy. God tells us he expects us to be holy. And there's a huge difference most of the time. A huge difference most of the time. Now, when we look at these words, pure and blameless, now that applies to us too. We are supposed to be pure and blameless. But I want to be sure that we understand that these two words are not indicating perfection. We all realize that the only person who has ever walked this earth that was perfect, it's not us, it was Jesus. Blameless does not indicate a life without sin. We're human. We live in a fallen world from time to time. We are going to encounter sin. But when we encounter those times, it should bring conviction. It should bring conviction. If we're truly in Christ and we encounter sin in our life, it should bring conviction, deep conviction in our hearts. And if it does not bring that deep conviction, there's a problem, folks. It is absolutely true that when we come to Christ for salvation, he does indeed meet us where we are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. That is not his desire for any Christian. And if we find ourselves at a point where we're just comfortable in sin, it's a huge problem. 
It is a huge, huge problem. He expects us to grow in that relationship with him. And then I want to talk just a moment because he, after he explains all those things, he goes on and says that we're supposed to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we read this and we don't really equate what the fruit of righteousness is. Perhaps we would identify with it closer from the book of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, that's our word again. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, it is really easy for us to read that. That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit. And it is awfully easy, especially when you're going through something. Maybe that is a result that involves somebody else. It is really, really easy to think, I just wish they were filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Well, they do need to be. But guess who else needs to be? Me. You. As Christians, we are supposed to display these attributes daily. Daily, in good times, in bad times. We are called to display those. And I wonder this morning, I'm going to close quickly here, but I've just got to ask the question. When you think back over whatever time period you want to, maybe it's just back to yesterday for you. Maybe it's back years ago, but when you think of something in your life that has caused you just so much grief. How much different would that situation have been if we displayed the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe that you'll probably be just like me. It would have changed a lot if both parties constantly displayed the fruit of the Spirit. And then the result of this is who, who gets the glory and praise for this? Is it us? No. It's to the glory and praise of God. And that is how we should be living our lives on a daily basis. As we, as we close this morning, I want to remind you that we can definitely have joy in the midst of adversity, but we've got to choose it. We've got to work toward that. And, you know, I, I'm going to say one other thing, and perhaps some of you will disagree with me on this, but if we call ourselves a Christian... We're expected, we are expected to display all of the fruits of the Spirit, even in times where we feel like we've done nothing wrong. And sometimes we will be surprised at how that changes the overall situation. So I wonder this morning, would you say that your life is one of joy? Is it? 
on good days. It's easy to be joyful then, isn't it, on good days. But do we display that joy in those times of adversity? We can. We can. And I believe that we are expected to as followers of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, he expects us, Jesus expects us, God expects us to live lives that are holy. That's the expectation. It's completely different than what much of the world will tell us. But that's the expectation to live lives that are holy and pure and blameless before him. I want to tell you really quick, perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That can all change today. I want you to know that Jesus loved you so much. God loved you so much that he allowed his son Jesus to go to the cross and die there. For us on the cross. And you know, just last Sunday morning, we celebrated what? Easter. We celebrated the fact that the tomb was empty. And I'm going to say it one more time. The tomb's still empty today. The tomb is still empty today. And that's great, great news. I firmly believe that we should not celebrate Easter only on one day of the year. It should be every day if we are a Christian. We should be celebrating that each and every day. But Jesus died on the cross for me, for you. But he didn't stay dead. He was buried. And then he rose three days later. And it allows us to celebrate Easter. And then after he appeared to the disciples and to other people, he ascended to his Father. But there is one day he's going to come back. He is going to come back. And I'm not, if you're here this morning or you're maybe watching the live stream and you're not in Christ, I am not trying to scare you. But I'm trying to be realistic here. Life is fragile. This may be the last day that any of us live. Or he may come back today. Life is so fragile. Just in the last couple of weeks. There or three weeks, there was this, the shooting at the school in Nashville. There was the shooting this week in Louisville at the bank. Those people weren't expecting their lives to end that day. They, when they got up that morning, it was a day just like any other day. And that could easily be our last day as well. It will probably be when we don't expect it. When Jesus comes back, it will probably be on a day that we're not expecting it. But life is so fragile. Two weeks ago today, I stood before you and asked for prayer for the son of two of my friends. That son was hurt in a football accident. He died the very next day at 17 years old. He wasn't expecting his life to end that day, but it did. It did, and thank God he was ready to go. Praise God he was ready to go. But if that was you, would you have been ready? Would you have been ready? You know the answer to that. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He did everything that I have just described for us on the cross. And we've got to believe He's coming back again. And we've got to be willing to confess our sins to Him and be willing to turn from that life of sin. And if we're willing to do that, He will meet us exactly where we are. He will be your Lord and Savior. 
But it requires you going through that process. You've got to ask him. You've got to believe and you've got to confess. I wonder, have you done that today? If not, you can. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much just for the assurance of knowing that we can, in fact, have joy in the midst of adversity. Father, we know that that is only possible through what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit will just fall upon this place. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, may this be the day that they make the the most important decision of their life. Father, perhaps there are other people here this morning that, that just need to come and pray about something. Lord, I pray that, that people will come and pray freely this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you will move in just great and mighty ways. And Father, I just pray that you will allow our eyes to see the beginning of a, another greater revival. And Lord, may it start here. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.